Last month, we talked about our missions, and I want to just take a brief moment to say thank you, thank you to so many of you who responded. You have completed uh, your faith promise. That helps us so much to plan for the coming year. So thank you so much, and if uh, some of you are still thinking, praying about that, please uh, do that. Get that into us. Uh, We have uh, the leaders of the Basket of Hope Mission, one of the missions we support, the mission in Kenya, uh, Africa, that does great, great work. They're here uh, this morning. Sharon and Howard Hester, good morning. See you over there. Thank you for being here. They do a great job taking care of pastors and kids, and they're feeding kids, and they're training pastors. Let's get behind uh, these missionaries. They do great, great work. This morning, I have an account of a missionary of sorts that I'll talk about. But before I get there, I wanted to just share with you a little incident that occurred in my life that might, it might parallel a little bit this morning. Some 20 years ago, it was over 20 years ago, when I was working outside the church, I worked for a software company Our product was embedded into other companies' products, and sometimes there'd be a little arm wrestling about whose technology was more important, was someone stealing from someone else, and at any rate, uh, there was uh, a company in France that had, uh, I'll call a strategic partner for lack of a better term, but at any rate, my boss was dealing with them, and he needed to go to France to have a meeting. But guess what? It was going to be contentious. He's like, no, Visgur, you go. I was like, "Uh, really? I don't want to go. No, so you know what they say about, uh, you know, these kinds of troubles and such. They roll downhill. So the boss was like, no, you go. So I was looking forward to a contentious meeting, uh, and I had to go to France, to Paris, And the only consolation was, well, I said, could you book me a little bit early? I know that the flights are a little less expensive if you spend a Saturday. Could I leave on Friday night? At least then I could explore Paris. Maybe I could have a little bit of consolation out of this. So a flight was scheduled. I was at Detroit Metro Airport, ready to board a plane. Thankfully, thank you, I would always... Thank God, a direct flight. I hated layovers. So a direct flight from Detroit to Paris. I remember it extremely well, almost like it was yesterday. It was a McDonnell Douglas DC-10. I was flying economy, not first class. They had first class economy, no such thing as business class. I, for the first time in my life, was going to board this plane first. Not because I was first class. In essence, I was last class. I was in row 38, the last row on the aircraft. When you walked in, first class went left. The rest of us in steerage went right. I was the first on because I was in that last row, and I was so thankful because I thought, I'm just going to go get in my seat, and I'm going to curl up and forget about life. I didn't want to go. 
didn't want to go to this meeting, wasn't looking forward to it. I got to the back of the plane. I travel light, one bag. The man who was behind me, who actually had the window seat, said to me this, do you smell smoke? And I was, I was like, mm, maybe a little. And he said, there's smoke in this plane. And he alerted the stewardess who was standing right at the rear of the plane, and he was going to open the emergency door, which was immediately behind, right there. It was actually next to us. And she said, sir, don't do that. And he said, I smell smoke. She turned around, and she opened the back door where there was a galley. And in that galley, there was nothing but smoke. It was coming through the top like uh, uh, some kind of vent, and it was pouring in. She slammed the door and lost her composure. Literally started screaming, get off the plane! Pandemonium for the briefest moment. Then her training kicked in. And she regained her composure, picked up the telephone at the back, called the front, said, Get, we have to stop boarding D-plane now. She told everyone, drop your things, get off this plane, turn around. She just turned into military mode. Her training took over. Meanwhile, this man still wants to open the door, and through the vents across all the top, smoke's just starting to fill this cockpit or, or this, this fuselage. I was the last person you know, the Bible says the first will be last. I was first in. I'm going to be last out. I don't know if you've ever been in a plane that's filling with smoke. It's not a fun experience. I was kind of freaking out, I'll say. And the space there, it was two seats, five seats, two seats, nine seats wide. It's kind of like a big, wide, jumbo got smaller and smaller, like a cave, like a cave that just was shrinking and shrinking, and all I wanted to do was get off. And I was the last person off, with the exception of this stewardess who was at the back behind me. I was seeking out this cave. I was looking forward to being in my little cave and just curling up and letting the, the world go away, kind of overwhelmed, not looking forward to this contentious meeting. You know, and sometimes we need that. We want it. We want a place where we can just get away, even if only for a moment. But ultimately, we have to get out. And sometimes we have to get out because our life depends on it. I talked to a businessman who said sometimes he needed just a moment and what he would do is just crouch down under his desk. People would look in the office, think he's gone. Just take a moment. Take a moment. Get away from it all. It was sort of a cave, a place of respite. But he knew it could only be for a moment. He has to come out. There are times we need the moment. Sometimes we need a week. Sometimes we feel like we need forever. Things are Things are that terrible. We, we sometimes feel like we need forever. Have you ever been at a place like that in your life where you just, you wanted to curl up, just roll into a ball, go away, hide, be alone? 
And we don't live among caves. But we can find places of seclusion that are somewhat like caves. Our cars, a closet behind our desk. We might even create an invisible cave. It's not even a place. We just put up these walls and we keep people out. Shut out the world. And there's so many reasons, so many, many reasons that one would seek out a cave. And this morning, I want to speak to you about two men and two caves. Two very different caves, two very different sets of circumstances that resulted in these men being in their respective caves, and then two different ways that they departed, that they came out of their cave. The experience of man number one, I want to direct toward all of you who profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You say you follow him, you say you live for him. The experience of man number two, I want to direct that to any of you who are here, any of you who might be joining online and you've not yet been fully persuaded that Jesus Christ is God, God that became a man, a man who had feelings and, and a man who had emotions, a man who felt real pain, and a man who willingly yielded his life to death by crucifixion in order to receive a penalty that every single human being justly deserved. If you're not fully persuaded that Jesus Christ did that for you, it's going to be the second man's experience that I hope you'll find some application in. The first man, his name was Elijah. His account is pretty well known to those who would be Christians for some time. The account of Elijah is given in the historical books in the Bible called the books of Kings at the end of the first book of Kings and the beginning of Second Kings is the account of Elijah. Elijah was an Israelite. He was a prophet. He had audiences before kings. He talked to kings, told them what the Lord had to say. One of the kings that Elijah prophesied to was the notorious King Ahab. He was a bad king. And his wife, the queen Jezebel, was even worse. In Elijah's day, Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets. And as she killed the Lord's prophets, she was establishing her own false prophets to man-made gods, idols, called Baal and Asherah. And she turned the people to worshiping these false gods. Yet Elijah was a bold man. He was a man of God, a man of faith. And he went to the king one day. Then he said, God's judgment is on this kingdom, this kingdom of Israel. It's not going to rain. It won't even do on the ground unless it comes by my word. And it was so. And then there was a drought that resulted in famine. Elijah, he was miraculously fed by ravens as he lived next to a brook 
but the brook dried up. And when the brook dried up, the Lord directed Elijah to a widow who was preparing her last meal for herself and her son. She had a jar of flour. She had a jug of oil. And in that jar of flour and in that jug of oil was enough to prepare one meal for her and her son. And then they thought they would just die. Elijah said to her, feed me, feed me. And your jar of, <clears throat> your jar of flour and your jug of oil they will not run out until the day it rains again in Israel. And you know what? Another miracle. It was so. Elijah ate with the widow and her son every day. While Elijah was staying with this family, the young son fell ill and he died. The widow was grief-stricken. Elijah cried out to God. He cried out to God for this young man, and the young man was resurrected from the dead. He came back to life. After three years of drought, this famine in Israel was very severe. Elijah called on King Ahab. He said, King, assemble the 400 prophets of Asherah and the 450 prophets of Baal, 850 false prophets in all. And he said, call as many people in the land of Israel and tell them all to gather on the top of Mount Carmel. And they all came. Two altars were built. Two sacrifices were prepared. But Elijah said, do not light the fires. All you prophets of the false gods, call on your gods. So they'll light the fire. The false prophets tried all day. They screamed. They yelled. They made spectacles of themselves. And guess what? Nothing happened. Then Elijah prayed. But before he prayed, at the height of this drought, he said, bring, bring a jar of water and pour it on my wood. As a matter of fact, 12 large jars of water were brought, poured on his wood. Then he prayed. He prayed. And Almighty God from heaven above answered. And he answered with fire, fire that fell down and it consumed the sacrifice and it consumed the altar and the wood and the water. What do you think the people did at that moment? At that moment, the people said, we worship God. They were done with the false gods and they were done with the false prophets and the 850 false prophets they put to death that day. King Ahab, who had been observing it all, started back to his palace. It was some 30 miles away in a city called Jezreel. Elijah stayed on top of Mount Carmel and he prayed again. And this time he prayed for rain. He could see the Mediterranean from the top of that mountain and a little cloud came up, and then it turned into a big cloud, and it blew inland, and the rains started. And Elijah began to run to the city of Jezreel, and he outran the chariot of Ahab over the distance of a marathon. What miracles, what miracles this man knew. He was a man of faith, a man of God. He was bold. 
And when he arrived in the city of Jezreel, he heard from Queen Jezebel. She told him, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have your life. Think about this. After all these miracles, after miracle, after miracle, he calls on God. God answers. Jezebel said, I'm going to have your life. And then we read this stunning line of scripture, 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He was afraid. He was afraid and he ran for his life. He ran 40 days, 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain called Horeb, known as also as Mount Sinai. And there, Elijah found a cave where he could go inside and he could curl up and he could hide from the world. And he curled up in that cave and this is what happened. 1 Kings 19, verses 9 to 13. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the winds, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He had the same reply. This man of God, this man of faith, this man who lived with such boldness and he saw so many miracles. He was bold enough to face a king, talk to him right to his face, the king who could have killed him on the spot. And he said, there's not going to be any rain in the land unless it's by my word. He told that king, assemble all your prophets for for this spiritual showdown of sorts. He saw miracle after miracle, miracle. He lived these miracles. Raised a young man from the dead fed miraculously for years, predicted the drought, prayed for the rain, outran the chariot 30 miles. But then this angry, wicked queen just breathes out one murderous threat, and that's it. He's frightened. He's frightened. And he ran for his life, and he dove into his cave. And he gave to God sort of a woe is me story. Oh, God. They're out to get me. They've got everyone else, God. They're out to get me too. Christians, let's take a lesson from the life of Elijah. You've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have lived the miracle of salvation. 
You have received this great gift of God. You've, you've been zealous for Jesus, shared your faith, talked about Christ. You've seen wonders in your life and even in the lives of others. Has something frightened you? Is it the state of the culture, the state of the world, all the things that are happening? Is it what's happening in the church? Is it all the things that are going on because of this pandemic? Issues in the family? Do they have you overwhelmed? Pressure at school. Pressure to achieve. What about your career, your job? It's on the line with all that's happening. You have decisions to make, and, and they're not ones that you have ever thought you were going to face. And sometimes when we're overwhelmed, whatever it might be, then comes that cave experience. We just want to curl up and make it all go away. Has something happened that's shaken you to the core, and you just want to do that? Get in that cave. Crawl in. Tell God the woe is me story. If we're willing to look inside ourselves, I bet we could all say we've had moments, maybe even days, perhaps even long seasons of rolling up into that ball, hiding in the cave. If it can happen to a man of God like Elijah, it can happen to any one of us. What do we do? What do we do when we're curled up into that ball, feeling abandoned by God, with the world out to get us? What did the Lord tell Elijah? The Lord said, come out. Come out of that cave, Elijah. Get out and stand on the mountain. Then came the wind. And the face of the mountain got torn apart. Lord wasn't in the wind. Then came the earthquake. Shook the cave. Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then came the fire that lit up the whole mountain. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then came a gentle whisper. And Elijah went out of the cave into the presence of the Lord. Get before the Lord in prayer. Not with the woe is me attitude. Not with that, that woe is me story like Elijah had. But with faith and with confidence that God hears you and God is with you. And you are with him in his presence. He told Elijah, go back the way you came. Get back to work. Get back to life. And he reminded Elijah this. Elijah, you're not alone. 1 Kings 19, 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, Elijah all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah thought he was all alone. But there were thousands 
of brothers and sisters who had kept the faith. Believers, believers, has something challenged your faith? Are you wondering, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Where's God as my life is crumbling, as things are falling apart? Has fear crept in and pushed out your faith? Have you shut yourself in a cave? Maybe not in a, maybe not in a real place, but even the invisible walls, just to shut out the world and close them off and close off everyone around you. Are you praying and praying and waiting for that great miracle? I need the wind. I need the earthquake. I need the fire. I say this is what the Lord says to you today in a gentle, inviting whisper. Come out of your cave. Come out of your cave into my presence and get back into life. Get back into life. I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Come on out. If that's you, Christian, heed the example of Elijah. Another cave, man number two. This is from the New Testament. Jesus, at this time, had been actively ministering for about three years. He preached repentance He openly interacted with outcasts who were labeled known sinners. You're a sinner. But Jesus interacted with them. And the message to Jesus was repent. Simple. Just turn from your sin. And he said, I forgive your sins so many times. Go and sin no more. And to show that he had the power to say, I can forgive sins, Jesus performed many signs and miracles. Now, one such miracle had to do with a man in a cave. Jesus had received word that one of his friends was sick. It was a man named Lazarus. Now, even though Jesus had received this message, he delayed in traveling to the home of Lazarus. By the time Jesus arrived, Lazarus had succumbed to his illness, and he had died, and he had been dead for four days. He'd been placed in a tomb, It was the custom of the Jews to entomb a person the day that they died. Tombs were hewn out of the rocky slopes that were found throughout the region. And a tomb was a type of cave. They were even sometimes called burial caves. Now John, in his gospel, describes for us this tomb. I read John 11, verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Lazarus was in a cave. Jesus was deeply moved, standing there with the mourners as he stood outside the cave where Lazarus was laid. Lazarus had been in the cave now for four days. What characterized Lazarus's cave? Darkness and death. Death that seems so final and irrevocable. Now, with Jesus, there stood two sisters of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. Both Martha and Mary had said to Jesus, if only you had been here earlier, 
our brother would not have died. But listen to how Jesus replied. John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? As Jesus stood outside the cave, he would show this. He would show this, that he possessed the power over death. Four days, Lazarus was in the cave. He was in his cave, a tomb where death and darkness prevailed and decay had begun. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone from in front of the cave. And let's read what follows. John 11, verses 41 to 44. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. To the dead man in the cave came the voice of God. But this time it wasn't a gentle whisper. No, it was a loud voice. Come out! Come out of that cave and live! Take off the grave clothes. Get on with your life. Jesus proved in the natural what must happen in the spiritual. He is the resurrection and the life. And he said, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? For without believing in him, you have no life. Without believing in him, you have no life. Though you live and you breathe and you move around and you travel and you get on with your daily activities, without Jesus, no life. And this is why Jesus said things like, you must be born again. You have no life. You're in a cave, and it's dark. It's lifeless, and it brings on decay. You might say, that's not my life. That's not my life. I'm not enclosed and, in, and covered in darkness. If you don't believe in Christ, you might not realize it now. But just look inside for a moment. Look inside at your ever-living soul. What is going to become of it when this earthly body expires? You're in a cave like that tomb of Lazarus. And if you don't realize it today, you're going to realize it one day. And the walls, they're going to encompass you. And it's going to get smaller and smaller and you're going to have no light and fear is going to start to overtake you and you might want to curl up in a ball hoping it all goes away. But hear the voice of Jesus crying out to you, come out, come out, come on out and live. Come on out to me. This is life or death. It's like being in a cave that's, that's 
like that fuselage of the plane that is on fire. And the only thing to do to live is get out. Get out of that cave. Lazarus left his cave and he came into the welcoming presence of Jesus Christ. He was set free. Whom the Son set free is free indeed. Believe that Jesus has the power to resurrect you. He'll resurrect you to eternal life. And there's no other way. There's no other way. He alone is the resurrection and eternal life. Two men, two caves. One applies to those who are in Christ. And one beckons to everyone else. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Christians, those of you who have followed and heeded the call of Jesus Christ and you've come into the light, but maybe you've been shaken. You've been frightened. You've been alarmed. You're, you're overwhelmed or you're upset. Something's pressed in on you. Some circumstance of life. Christ gently encourages you. Like that gentle whisper to Elijah, come out. Come on out of that cave. Come into my presence. Come on, join me in my presence. To those of you who've never come to Christ. He's calling you loudly. Come out of your cave. He's calling you as he called Lazarus out of Lazarus's cave. Come out. Come out and believe and receive eternal life. It's the only way. It's the only way. Hear that voice of Jesus calling you today.